you have your Bible tonight, turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament. Turn to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, where this evening I want to begin a somewhat of a summer series with you that speaks to the subject of living the Christian life. Living the Christian life. Tonight I want us to focus on verses 1 and 2 where the Apostle Paul says, Therefore I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. We understand that as believers, we were saved by God to live our lives for Him. And as we live our lives for Him, I want us to recognize that we live our lives on two fronts. One, we live on, in and among the community of believers. But secondly, we live among the community at large, and that is, of the unbelievers. In either way, I want you to see that our lives are to be lived in a way in which we are to be relational. That is, both personally or even as a, as a family, your family, my family, the Christian life is to be lived with others. We're not to live alone. We're not to live isolated from others. Our lives are personal lives, our families, we live within a community of other people, a community of unbelievers, and a community of believers. And so as we begin this series, we're going to go through Romans chapter 12 and 13 and into Romans 14 and even into Romans chapter 15. And as we do that, beloved, what we're going to find out is that, yes, our life is to be with Christ. Our life is in a relationship with God as believers, but yet it is with other believers and even with people who are outside the church. And in these chapters, it will speak to us about our relationship with others, especially about our relationship with one another in the church, where God's Word here in these chapters will teach us about how it is we're supposed to think about one another. It will teach us how it is we're supposed to serve one another. How are we supposed to respond to one another? How are we supposed to live with one another and maintain unity with, with one another when in the body of Christ itself there are differences? That is, there are weaker brothers and sisters and there are stronger brothers and sisters in Christ. And we may be surprised to find out who are actually the stronger ones and who are actually the weaker ones. But how do we live together in the body of Christ Maintaining that oneness in our fellowship. And I truly believe that if we will listen and live what it is that God's Word will say here in these chapters, that it will make us a stronger church that is built up in the faith. So tonight we're going to start here in verses 1 and 2 because it is here that the Apostle Paul sets the tone for us and he really establishes for us what is critical to everything else he's going to say. We must heed these first two verses if we're going to be able to fulfill 
what it is that God's going to be calling on us to do the rest of the chapters, chapter 12, 13, 14, even into chapter 15. And what we're going to find here in the counsel that he's giving us here in these first two verses can be summed up in this way that we are being called on to commit our lives, commit ourselves to God. It is a call to commitment, a call to commit yourself to God. First and foremost, our lives are about God. Our lives are to be lived for God. Our lives are about Christ. They are to be lived for Christ. Just as a quick reminder, over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you have your Bible, if you want just for a moment to look over there, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and just remind you of something that is key, that is critical to your life. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin reading in verse 14, where we're told that for the love of Christ controls us. That is, Christ's love is what should be controlling us. That is, having concluded this, and he's going to give you what it is that we all should have concluded as believers, that is, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, and notice... Why is it that Christ died? Why is it that he died for you? So that you may now live your life no longer for yourselves. He says, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So when we conclude in understanding about the cross of Christ, that Jesus went to the cross, and on that cross, he's there paying for our sins. He's there, what? Redeeming us. He's there setting us free. But he's setting us free to now live our life for him. We're to be living for Christ. And so we think about that as we go back to our text in Romans 12 where Paul is here speaking about our commitment. And I want you to notice as Paul approaches them and encouraging them, notice how passionate he is. But yet he's doing it in a loving way because notice he's appealing to them. Though he is commanding them here, he's commanding them in such a way that he's coming alongside of them to appeal to them, to like put his arm around them and just saying, you can do this. When he says there, therefore I beseech you, or maybe your translation says, I urge you, brethren. He's pleading with them. He's appealing to them. That word there that is translated either to I'm urging you or I'm beseeching you is the same word that the Apostle Paul uses over in 2 Corinthians in chapter 5 and verse 20 where he speaks about us being ambassadors for Christ. And he says, as ambassadors for Christ, God is making an appeal through us. God makes the appeal through us to the lost that we beg them, be reconciled to God. The same idea, we're appealing, Paul is appealing to the believers here in Rome. I'm urging you, brethren, he's speaking to them as his family. You're my family, you're my brethren, and I'm urging you to commit your lives 
to God. Now let's look at what he says here. And as we think about this committing of our lives to the Lord, let's look at the foundation of this commitment. The foundation of this commitment. And it's found there in verse 1, where he says, Therefore, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Paul here, notice here, he tells you that this commitment must be founded on the salvation that God has provided for you and it needs to be founded on your desire to glorify God. The desire to glorify God is found in the very first word of the verse when he says, therefore... He's telling you, he's connecting this back to the end of chapter 11 where he was speaking about the glory of God. That God, verse 33 of chapter 11, oh, the depth of the riches both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who became his counselor or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore, therefore it is from him. Therefore it's all through him. Therefore it's all to him. All things to him be glory forever. Therefore, beloved, present yourself. Commit yourself. As believers, commit yourself to God. That must be the foundation. Your desire to live for the glory of God. But also, beloved, notice he says, therefore, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. And notice it's in the plural. And when he makes this reference to the mercies of God, he's appealing now and he's, he's drawing them back to pretty much everything that he has written through the first 11 chapters. The first 11 chapters of the book of Romans is more about doctrine. But now in chapter 12, he's now saying, now that I have taught you once again, now begin to put into practice what it is that you need to do in light of the doctrines that I have taught you. And you can sum up what he's been speaking to them about in those first 11 chapters. is about their salvation. And he's saying, you've been saved by the mercies of God. You could go back and begin in those opening chapters and you see he's speaking about the sinfulness of man, that man in his sinfulness, what does he do? He suppresses the truth about God, though he knows deep down, even in his heart, he knows that God exists. He wants to push that down. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. 
that none of us are righteous, none of us are good, none of us understand, none of us are seeking God. He's painting this picture of man. He's painting this picture of, of who we are. But then he begins to describe that God sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the one that would go and satisfy the wrath of God so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins, so that God, who is just and holy, could remain just and holy and still forgive give us and declare us right with him. How is it that God can accept us and declare us just when we're still sinners? It's because of the work of Christ. The mercies of God that God has shown. This is what Paul is appealing back to. That in his patience and his kindness he has delivered them from his wrath. Well, that Paul wants the foundation of their commitment to be based on their desire to glorify God as his children and their, and their desire there of, of recognizing the mercies of God. But God has shown them. This is, this is critical, beloved, before you move any further in this passage because, you see, it's just as important why we do something as it is what it is we actually do. It matters why we do it. For example, an unreligious, lost person may live their life and their life will be about morality. That is, they want to live a good life. They want to live a moral life. They want to live a good and moral life in such a way that it is beneficial to themselves, but also they believe it would be beneficial to society at large if they live their life this way. But beloved, that's not why we should do what we do. It's not about morality. Or you can take the religious lost person. You see, the unreligious lost person, their life is about morality. The religious lost person, their life, if they're trying to live a good life, is about merits. That is, they are trying to somehow live a life that would be pleasing to God so that somehow, some way, on the scale of their life, God will accept them. So they're trying to build up enough merits in their life of good deeds and good things so that somehow God will be pleased with them and accept them. And it can even get a religious person. It can be someone who just says, you know, that's why I go to church. That may be even why I read my Bible. That's why I give to the church. That's why I do things out in the community. That's why I serve. That's why I live my life the way I do, to be a good person, because somehow, some way, I think if I do that, God's going to accept me. The problem with that is, and we're going to get more specific into this next Sunday morning in Philippians chapter 3, is that's what the Apostle Paul recognized about his own life and he realized all those things that he was doing were actually a liability to him. They weren't an asset to him. And the standard is this. Remember, here's the problem when someone thinks that way. The standard is perfection. And the thing is, Everything a person does, if it's not out of a love for God, if it's not out of a, really, really out of a saving relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ, and for His glory, understand it's always tainted with sin. It's always tainted. 
I'm not saying it's not good for society. It's not good for them maybe personally as a person. But I'm saying as far as their standing with God, it contributes nothing. So for the unreligious lost person, they do what they do because it's about morality. For the religious person that's lost, it's about merits. But for the true Christian person, it should be about the mercies of God. It's about God's mercy and what He has shown you in the salvation He has provided you. So this is the foundation. This is the foundation. So first and foremost, let me ask you tonight, do you have this foundation? Have you recognized your sinfulness? Have you recognized your rebellion, your suppression of the truth? Have you recognized your unworthiness? And that you're under the condemnation and the wrath of God. This is what Paul describes in the opening chapters of Romans. Have you done that? Have you seen that the wages of your sin is death? That is an eternal death where you are separated from God. Have you recognized that is what is your worthy judgment? And have you so recognized that has, has a, a fear and a reverence for God so gripped your heart that you now want to look to God and say, oh God, please rescue me. Please save me. Deliver me. And have you seen that Jesus is the only hope? He is the only payment that God will accept. And he has accepted his payment. He has accepted his life and his death on the cross. Why? Because he raised him from the dead. And you must put your faith in him. This is the foundation from where this commitment starts. But beloved, even for us as believers, this is the foundation we must maintain. So here's what I would encourage you in that regard is don't get tired of the gospel. Remain sensitive to the mercies God has shown you in saving you. Remain sensitive to the cost it was to His Son to go to that cross and to pay for your sins. Remain sensitive to what it is He saved you from. He saved you from His wrath. Remain sensitive, beloved, to how it is that that He showed you such grace and didn't give you what it is that you so deserved. Remain sensitive to that because, beloved, the more we think about that, what it is I so justly deserve, if you really stop and think about it, at this very moment right now in my life, what I deserve, where I deserve to be is an eternal hell. That's where I deserve to be. I deserve to be in hell right now, burning there, being tormented under the wrath of God for all eternity. I deserve that. But yet here I am, right here. And not only am I not in hell, but God has shown me mercy and grace and He has saved me and He's rescued me from that and He's given me life eternal to spend with Him. And the same is for you, beloved. If you are here as a believer, don't get over that. Don't forget that. But also, again, if you're here and you've never trusted Christ, beloved, God is showing you mercy. Because you deserve right here and now to be in hell, separated from God for all eternity. But He's showing you mercy. He's showing you patience. He's showing you kindness, giving you the opportunity to repent. This is the foundation. But now let's go back to our text. 
And let's look at what I call the features to this commitment. We are committing our lives to God. And there's two aspects to this commitment. There's two features to this commitment. And they're real simple. They're right there in the text. There's nothing for us to try to come up with some way to present it. One, you commit your bodies to the Lord. And two, you need to commit your mind to the Lord. When you're committing all of who you are, you're committing your body to the Lord and you're committing your mind to the Lord. Let's look at first in verse 1 by committing your bodies to the Lord. The word there, he, he says, to present. Therefore, I'm, I'm urging you by the mercies of God to present your bodies. That word for presenting there is a technical word that speaks about offering up a sacrifice before God to be at God's disposal. So what is Paul saying to them? He's saying, I want you to offer up your bodies to God for your body to be used at God's disposal. However it is that God wants you to use your body, that's the way you want to use it. And this is critical when we understand because we have to fight against sin in our flesh. We have to fight against sin in our bodies. This is what Paul was speaking about earlier on in the book of Romans, over in Romans chapter 6, where he speaks about sin, how sin entered into the world. And he says in verse 12 of Romans 6, Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but you're under grace. That's why he goes on to say in verse 16, Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slave for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin resulting in death or obedience resulting in righteousness? You were a slave of sin, but you aren't anymore if you're a believer. You've been set free. But you've been set free, he says, and you became a slave now of righteousness. So present your body the instruments and the members of your body to righteousness. Commit your body to being used in a way that brings honor and glory to God. If you remember, beloved, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're taught that our body is not our own, but actually it was bought with a price. It was bought with the price of the blood of Christ. When you stop and think about redemption, I hope you understand that redemption doesn't just involve your soul, it involves your body as well. That's why ultimately we're going to have what? The resurrection of the body. The glorification of the body. Redemption has to do with the whole person of who we are. You go back to the beginning in the book of Genesis, and when God created man, remember, God created his body and then he breathed life into him. He breathed his soul into him in that way. So redemption does involve our soul, but it involves our body. So right now, while we're still living in the flesh, God calls on us to present our bodies to Him. Because your body is not your own. So when you think about your body, beloved, you want to say, I want to present the members of my body to the Lord. Thus, I want to present my ears to the Lord. 
That's the things I'm going to listen to. I want it to be something that is building up, edifying. I want it to be things that are going to help me to live my life for Christ. When I think about my eyes, the things I'm going to watch, the things I'm going to read, the things I'm going to look at, I'm presenting my body. I want my eyes to be used for the Lord. I want my tongue to be used for for the Lord. I want my feet to be used to move me in the places where God would want me to go and where God would want me to be. I want God to use my hands to work and to do the things that he calls on me to do so that I can honor and glorify him. Even the Bible speaks about the stomach. Food is for the stomach. But ultimately even that is for the Lord. Beloved, God wants us to use our bodies for him. I think about Paul, how Paul used his body for the Lord. Paul had an ability to use his hands to be a tent maker. And he used that so that he could help meet needs in the church. He could help support himself, that helped to take some relief off the churches that were supporting him. Paul used that, beloved, so when you use your skills, your abilities that God has given you, whether it's with your mind or whether it's with your, your hands, it's physical, whatever it may be, God has given you those gifts. And so you want to give those to the Lord. I'm committing my life. I'm committing my body to the Lord. This is what we see here from the Apostle Paul and what he's telling us. But secondly, let's go back. And in Romans 12, we see not just committing your bodies to the Lord, you also need to be committing your mind to the Lord. Verse 2, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your mind. But our mind has to be committed to the Lord as well. This involves our thinking. Thus God wants to change us, as I said this morning, from the inside out. God's not just interested in the outside. God is interested in the inside. And this transformation starts on the inside and it starts with a renewing of your mind. Thus, we don't want to be conformed to this world. That is, we don't want this world to be shaping our life. We don't want the world to shape our life, to shape our looks, shape our commitments, shape our pursuits. We want the renewing of our mind to be transforming us from the inside that begins to manifest itself in the, how we live our life even now on the outside. And just a quick reminder of why it is we don't want the world to be shaping our thinking. That we want it to be renewed by the word of God, the renewing of your mind by the word of God, by the scriptures. Because we're told over in the book of James in chapter 4 that the world is at enmity with God. It's an enemy of God's. So why do we want the world to be shaping the way we think, shaping the way we look in the sense of shaping the things that, that our life is going to be about, shaping our commitments? We don't want the world to do that. We're told over in 1 John chapter 2 how frivolous it is to pursue after the things of the world. Why? Because all those things are going to perish. So why would we pursue after those? 
We're told over in 1 John in chapter 5 that the world is under the authority and the sway of the devil, that it is the devil who sets up the world system that is out there, and he sets that up to pull us away from God. Thus, we don't want to be having our life and our mind being shaped by the ways of the world. But that means even for us personally and even for us as a church, we, we don't want to be conformed to the world. There's a strong pull these days out in the Christian community. And I don't mean necessarily right here in Gene, I'm just saying at large. There's a strong pull in the world right now where they're, trying, they're being conformed to the world. Because the world is saying, you need to get away from the gospel and you need to be focused more on some of these social issues that are popping up in our society. And again, not that we shouldn't address those things, but that's not the priority of who we are as God's people. Our priority is the gospel. And the world is beginning to move more and more into the church. And as it moves more and more to the church, it's moving the church's priorities. And the world and the church is beginning to conform to the priorities of the world. We see the world moving into the church and the church is conforming to the world even in the area of evangelism and how we evangelize people and how we want to reach people and how we want to worship the Lord. All these things come moving into the church. And I'm reminded of something I came across this week in my readings from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Listen carefully to this. This was written probably some 40 years ago. He says, Modern men and women no longer like preaching and long services, but they do like films. So don't preach. Especially don't preach long sermons, but show films. What about that? The world says we like everything to be bright and breezy. We don't like solemnity. We don't like too much seriousness. So what about an evangelism which says, well now, that's what the world likes. It likes color and glamour and a lot of singing. It doesn't like too much reasoning, but it does like stories and illustrations. So let's give people that. Is not this conforming to the world? The moment you allow the world, men and women without the Spirit and without Christ, the moment you set them up as a standard and not the truth itself as revealed, then I say you have already violated this principle of being conformed to the world. Here again, of course, we must not go to extremes. Somebody may think that I am arguing for simply or a lack of liveliness or a miserable droning service. I am doing nothing of the sort. All I am saying is that if you once grant that the principle that people who are not Christians are to control your message or your method, then you are conforming to this world. But that's what Paul is warning about. Don't conform to the world, but yet be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, beloved, our lives are to be different. Our lives are to be different, have a different pattern to them than the world. This is why we, we have to be uh, discerning. Even when we think about our lives, even when we think about 
our upbringing and we think about our, our families and the, and the way that we do things. You, you have to examine all those things to make sure have they been built on the teachings of Scripture. Or is it things that have been adopted and conformed to the world? We want to be those that are having our hearts and our lives being transformed by the Word of God. As one commentator said, he says, unfortunately, it is also not uncommon for Christians to wear the world's mask. They want to enjoy the world's entertainment, the world's fashions, the world's vocabulary, the world's music, and many of the world's attitudes, even when those things clearly do not conform to the standards of God's Word. He goes on to say, that sort of living is wholly unacceptable to God. But we want to have our mind being renewed. And look, beloved, when we make this commitment of our bodies, we make this commitment of our mind, you go back to verse 1, what you see, when you're making this commitment to be this living and holy sacrifice, you know this is pleasing to the Lord. You know this is a part of your spiritual service of worship. This is a part of your worship. This is part of how you worship God with your life. So how can we have the renewing of our mind? By getting in the Word of God. By hearing the Word of God. By reading the Word of God. By studying the Word of God. You see, beloved, that's why when we gather here on Sundays, one of the reasons why I teach and preach the way I do, and I encourage you, you don't have to do it all the time, but I encourage you to turn in your Bible and for you to look at it yourself. It's because, obviously, as we're going through it, we are studying the Word of God. But you're going to hear it because I'm going to read it, but I want you to read it yourself. Thus, you get to hear, read, and study God's Word when we gather here together. Because it is through that that God will begin to renew your mind so that you begin to think the way God thinks in the sense of you think the way He thinks according to His Word. This is what must happen for our lives. Now notice one other thing about this commitment. Notice the fruit of this commitment. If you make this commitment, what will be the fruit of it? Well, look at the end of verse 2 so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Here will be the fruit of this. If you commit your life to the Lord by committing your body to Him, committing your mind to Him, the result of it will be this, that you will then have discernment. You will then understand and know the will of God. Please understand, the will of God is not something mystical that's out there. The will of God is this. This is the will of God. Knowing and understanding God's Word, knowing and understanding the Scriptures, and then just applying it to your life to live it. You see, beloved, understand, when we think about our children, let's just think about our children for a moment. We can send our children to school and, our, and the schools can teach our kids about history and about science and they can teach them about, about math and two plus two is four. I got that right. Y'all were wondering, weren't you? 
But the thing they can't do, they can't give them the ability, the ability to think and reason and spiritually understand, understand things so as to properly assess them. That, that can't happen there. Why? Because that only happens by the renewing of their mind and that happens by their understanding of the Word of God. Getting in the Word of God. The more you get into the Word of God and your mind's being renewed by God's Word, you are now understanding and receiving the ability to think and to reason and to spiritually understand things so that you now can properly assess them. That's how that happens. And that's why that responsibility falls on us as parents. It falls on us as families to do that. And it falls on us as a church. That we make sure, whether it's from our children to our youth, that it is the Word of God that is front and center. It is what they're being taught. They're not being taught just moral stories. They're being taught the Word of God. Because it is through that that they will receive the ability to really think through things biblically. To be able to prove and know what the will of God is. And we know the will of God is good and it's acceptable and it's perfect and it's right. And I know we all desire that. But it requires a commitment, a commitment on our part to be faithful to do that, to be faithful to the Lord. Beloved, I just want to urge you, this is where it starts before we move any further into the relationships we're going to talk about and the things God calls on us. It, it, it starts with each of us willing to make this commitment of presenting our bodies and really presenting our mind to the Lord and saying, Lord, it's at your disposal to do with me as you so desire. I will follow you. I want my mind renewed by the word of God. Doing it knowing that the salvation God's provided you, knowing how this glorifies God, that foundation, but also doing it because of you see now the fruit that comes from it. The fruit that comes from it is it gives you the ability to prove and know what the will of God is. So I want to ask you as we close our time tonight, I'm going to ask you if you'll bow your heads for just a moment in prayer.